Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, today it is our great pleasure to welcome Colin Spector to the show. Welcome, Colin. Thank you, Jeremy. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I say we because I also have my trusty co-host, Mandy Georgeoff, with me. Welcome, Mandy. Good morning. Trusty as always. Indeed. Colin is the VP of Sales over at Orem, and they are a parallel power dialer that helps reps get into live conversations with prospects more rapidly. As usual, we don't talk much about product. I actually have some objections to power dialers, so I'm going to throw the objections at Colin a little early on here, but we're going to talk a lot about things that are top of mind in sales right now, things like the war for talent and uh, selling in a hybrid environment, demand generation, so all sorts of all sorts of topics. Before we get there, Mandy is actually going to ask our, our get-to-know-you question because she discovered something a bit unusual in Colin's LinkedIn profile. That's right. That's right. Colin, I'm curious about aloe shirts. What is this reference? Aloe shirts, yes. Aloe shirts, out of college, I started an athletic apparel company. Well, it was really a smart textile company where we wanted clothes that were functional in nature. Uh, And aloe shirts specifically are one of the lines that we launched. And it came from a surf trip to Hawaii. First time to Hawaii, I I went without a surf shirt and got completely sunburned, kind of ruined the rest of my trip. And, And I had just wished there was a way to bathe in aloe vera to help heal the sunburn. And when I got back, to the mainland, uh, I actually did some investigating and found out that there was such a thing as, as smart textiles. And, and these are textiles that have different functions. And uh, one of the, the textiles was uh, infused with aloe vera. And so we actually created, uh, a friend and I created a line of shirts that were aloe vera shirts. So the, the purpose was to help you heal from a sunburn. Aloe vera has a lot of healing properties. Uh, and so we, uh, we launched alloshirts.com. It was uh, a short-lived but, but fun uh, e-commerce experience. Wow. All right. Well, that's maybe subject for a, another episode. We're going to get to a bunch of different topics, but the one I want to start with is an objection. So you know, your company does power dialers, and we don't usually talk much about product, but very frequently, and I don't know if this necessarily happens, but I'll get a call, right? And I'll say, hi, this is Jeremy. And then I hear a pause. It's an unnatural pause. How do you kind of respond to to that concern when people are looking at power dialers? Yeah, Jeremy, appreciate the question. And uh, yeah, Orem is a a live conversation platform. So we we have a power dialer, we have a parallel dialer. We have two ways to help reps get into live conversations. One of them, which is our power dialer, is actually one live call at a time, uh, and so there is no delay. We just automate all of the steps it takes a sales rep to move from one call to the next. So there's no clicking, there's no dispositioning. Uh, the AI will do all that for the sales rep, that product. And then we have our, our parallel dialer where we have an AI that will listen to how the person answers the phone. Uh, and then based on our algorithm with a high degree of accuracy, can tell if it's a, a machine or human and then bridge the rep into that that call. And so we, we like to pride ourselves in having the fastest handoff uh, with that type of, of product. And so from the prospect perspective, so Jeremy, you answer the phone, you say, hi, this is Jeremy. We know with a high degree uh, of certainty that it's you and not you saying, hi, this is Jeremy, leave a message. 
we can connect the rep. Our goal is to get the rep connected within that second. The rep is trained to speak naturally as if they heard you say hello live. And we actually show a transcription of how you answer the phone. And so they're, they're well prepared to know if you said, hey, good morning, it's Jeremy. And they could just say, hey, good morning, Jeremy. Call him with Aura, I'm good to connect. But yeah, it's definitely a common kind of concern or objection that, that we hear because folks are used to you know having been cold called. All of us get the spam calls these days. And so you want to make sure that you know, you're providing a good prospect experience when you're buying an enterprise technology. So I'm curious if you have any best practice recommendations around how reps, what, what reps should say when they answer the phone. This is both for, for both you guys, actually, because we do a lot of data on analytics. We have not done as much data on what reps, you know, on conversation analytics, basically. But I'm, I'm curious what you coach your reps to say when they, when they call people on it and they do a cold connect. Yeah, so we 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 all have the same opener here. Uh, I got this one from Chris Flores back at at my, at my days at Namely. The line is, "Are they keeping you busy today?" So the full the full opener goes like this. So I I call I call Mandy. I say, "Hey, Mandy, it's calling with Orum. Great to connect. They keeping you busy today?" And everybody responds to that question. And the way someone responds to that question. You can tell the kind of person that how that conversation is going to go. So, like, you know, somebody that's friendly will be like, "Yeah, I'm busy. What, what's going on?" Or, "Yeah," I'm, or, or maybe someone not in a good mood might be like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm busy. What do you want?" They'll kind of laugh at it. It's it's a bit of a what what we call a pattern interrupt in in the business. It's a line we all use, and uh, it's it's worked you know quite well the last few years for us. So, I, I once talked to a, a trainer who. Right. He also espoused the idea of pattern interrupts. And I, I totally subscribe to that. I think you need to both an email, a voicemail, like everything that you do, you need to, you need to get out of the, the normal pattern. One thing he recommended, it's whether you're comfortable with it or not, is to say, hey, this is Jeremy from Sales Loft. I know you're already regretting having picked up the phone. What do you guys think about that? Too negative? Look, if it, if it works for you and, and you're connect, what we call the connect to conversation ratio, that's where not only do you get the connect, but that connect lasts longer than a minute. So you've been able to get past that intro into likely some qualification, right? So qualification, meaning you've been able to ask at least a couple questions. Typically, that's we have found 60 seconds. I have nothing against the the, the kind of self almost deprecating opener. Like, uh, uh, I know you're going to hate this. It's a cold call kind of opener. But you know, here's why I'm I'm reaching out. Uh, I think Josh Braun, another sales trainer I hear is, is pretty big on these kind of like starting off with, with the negative to, to inoculate it, so to speak, you know, kind of get in front of what, what might be coming later. I don't, I, I think you, you do have to do whatever feels authentic to you, right? You can't own somebody else's script because I'm such an inherently positive person that my reaction to that is like, oh, that's so negative. Like if you're cold calling and you are reaching out to someone, any one individual at a company, it should be with the deep belief that you can help them. Otherwise, why are you calling them? So in fact, like if you're calling them and you're telling them, oh, you're going to hate this, like I bet you regret picking up the phone. Why are you calling them if it's a call they're going to regret? My personality, like the way that what feels authentic to me is to lead with, with positivity there, right? Which is, and, and enthusiasm, like that I have I have an idea for something and a hypothesis for a problem that they may not even know that they have. I want to learn more. And I am, you know, I'm curious to learn more. And, and there's no, there's not a downside there. I may have caught them at the wrong time and we can always defer and push that call later, but I'm not calling with any sort of negative position. Mandy, you, you nailed it. I mean, we, we have 
found that, and I'm sure, Jeremy, I know you do a lot of research, tonality, voice inflection, right? You're bringing the positivity, you're bringing that conviction, even in that opener, whether you say, hey, I know you regret it's a cold call or they're keeping you busy today. It's, you know, uh, it's a lot about the way you say it versus what's said there that's going to hook their interest. So Mandy, I'm, I'm spot on with you there. I'm, I'm a big believer in positive results, following the positive kind of energy and attitude you bring to the any call. So. Well, let, let's transition over to Enterprise AE's prospect. And I think it's super timely also because in the, I probably overuse the word zeitgeist, but in the zeitgeist right now, there is this some debate about whether these handoffs from person to person, you know, handing the prospect off from person to person is a good thing or a bad thing. But Mandy, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts. Unquestionably, yes. <laughs> if, if they want to succeed, yes. I, I don't know a single enterprise account executive who's at the top of the leaderboards and didn't get there, didn't sustain year-over-year success without owning prospecting. Is it cold prospecting though, or is it prospecting through either existing client referrals or partner referrals? Like there's much warmer, there's like warmer prospecting. Is it, I don't know if it's an or, it might be an and. I think it's an and. I, I would certainly expect that for most tenured enterprise account executives, they have their own network or customer referrals that they can lean on. But they're also blueprinting their accounts. They're understanding the top targets at each of those organizations. They're trying to find a way in through executive alignment, through customer referrals, through their own network. And if they can't get there that way, and and they've exhausted all of their options, they'll go cold. And then it's hypothesis-led, right? And then it is about I'm working with another organization like yours and we help them this way. And I, I have an idea Maybe they are starting at the bottom versus going straight to executives and doing a little bit of discovery at the end user level. Like for us, we sell sales engagement software. So my enterprise account executives are certainly cold prospecting into sellers at these organizations to understand current state so that they can synthesize a a vision that they can take back to the executives. If you're selling accounting you know, products, if you're whatever you're selling, right, there is an idea that even if you're not prospecting cold into executives, you're going to have to do some level of discovery that you may not have a warm intro way into. And certainly I believe that the best sellers are doing that. Yeah, Mandy, I, I totally agree. I saw Kyle Porter had, had written a nice uh, LinkedIn post where people were, were uh, debating a bit about uh, whether uh, it's efficient to even prospect, you know, front, the frontline folks, whether they're in the accounting or HR, or in our case, say it right, we both sell the sales teams. I firmly believe that it is worth finding pain points. Uh, first of all, finding out the account's qualified, right? Like by just talking to some of the frontline managers and sales folks, you, you understand state of the union, right? And so you know if it's even worth trying to go higher up in the org chart to get meetings with these executives and revenue leaders. So uh, yeah, Mandy, I'm, I'm a big fan, I, especially in the enterprise, right? And I, and I don't think the AE has to do it alone, right? I think in partnership with your deal team, with, the, with your sales development or, or lead research teams, right? You can all kind of divide and conquer the account or chart, map out that account, figure out who you need to pitch and champion build with to, uh, to drive you know, a business case home. And I love that too, because to your point, you made such a good point there about just understanding if this is an opportunity or an account that's well-qualified and worth pursuing, right? Like, and that, that's so important because the best AEs also, and I'm thinking of this analogy, it's fresh in my mind from the, the training kickoff that we had with Andy White yesterday at, at Medic, but he talks a lot about this idea of the difference between a strategic sales professional and an account executive who's panning for gold, right? And those are two very different 
account executives. And the best ones are strategic and intentional about making sure that they're qualifying out just as diligently as qualifying in. That can require a lot of foxhole by foxhole discovery to understand if this is an opportunity that's worth a pursuit. For us, we're asking either frontline sales reps or sales managers, I mean, do you guys have a calling culture currently, right? So, if, you know, we have, we have a, a cold calling software. If they don't currently have a calling playbook, that there's a longer time to adoption to even get to where we can add value, right? So we do a lot of qualifying at that level. So for us, it makes sense to talk with the frontline reps, frontline managers before going to the VP of sales and CRO and et cetera. So uh, no, Mandy, appreciate the strategy there. Well, we promised to cover a lot of ground today. So I, I did want to transition into what is undeniably the hottest topic in the world of sales right now, which is which is the war for talent. I'm curious, in what way are you guys seeing this over at, at Orem as you're looking to hire and expand your team? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting market, to say the least. Uh, I know we're all competing for top sales talents, right? So uh, what I have found most interesting is, you know, where... Uh, some candidates are, are coming from for us. So, you know, just on our SDR team, my, my partner, Terry Hussein uh, and I, we, we just brought on a couple sous chefs from Michelin star restaurants who wanted to get into tech sales. So we just hired a chef from Per Se and a chef from Momofuku. So, you know, if you're, if you're in New York City, I'm sorry, you know, maybe the quality is going to go down on the restaurant. But... I'm super unhappy with you right now. I'm very, <laughs> very, very unhappy. So, these are high performing individuals, right? Like people that want to be at the top of the game, right? That's why they go to a Michelin star restaurant through the change in, in, in just the world, the last kind of, you know, year and a half, people are starting to think about a career change, right? And they're looking for industries that, you know, are, aren't as susceptible to what we all just went through. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's really interesting. We're seeing, you know, people from the service industry start to pour into technology sales, you know, especially the entry entry level roles like SDR, where look, they have a lot of experience communicating with customers. I think in this day and age, like we want to find folks that have refined communication acumen as like a foundation, right? They know people, they know they have high EQ. You know, if they have also have high IQ, right? We can teach them the tech and the process and the playbook, and and they already know how to talk to people. That's interesting. Uh, I think pool of talent that that we're we're starting to tap into. I love that. I'm trying to think how I, I, it's so smart and I haven't considered it before, but you're right. If, if I start thinking about all of the attributes that would make a successful sous chef at a Michelin star restaurant, certainly like to your point, EQ, ability to multitask, process oriented, right? Ability to follow and follow a playbook, right? Follow a plan, execute, right? They're doers. They're people who can roll their sleeves up and get things done. I guess I'm trying to figure out how I would translate that for like, an, like what would the, the translation be for an enterprise account executive, right? And this is just me personally and selfishly asking you. I was just going to add, it's also doing something harder than cold calling all day, right? I mean, waking up at four in the morning to, to chop vegetables over and over and over again, takes skill and also takes, takes grit. On the enterprise side, I think it might maybe, you know, Mandy, since you're hiring enterprise reps, I'm curious to what extent you're, you now have to somehow assess their ability and talent working remotely, right? Like the enterprise rep of three years ago was in the field all the time and probably using less technology. And when they were home, they were they were probably chilling a little more, right? So how do you identify people who are, are going to actually have grit at home and, and have those virtual selling skills? 
One of the things I love about our interview process um, is that we, one of the steps in the process is a deal review. And it's where the enterprise account executive, instead, in lieu of doing a, a role play or a mock discovery call, um, because Colin, to your point, like I can teach them the product. They don't need to read the website and learn everything about sales loft before they come interview. But what I like to understand through that deal review, it's them creating a presentation and walking us through how they sourced the deal. Um, how they man- how they you know came up with a hypothesis, how they managed multiple buying influences, how they got consensus around a problem, how they got through the proposal and contracting stage. And so, Jeremy, I think to your point, as as I go through these interviews, I'm I'm able to pinpoint a little bit better where they used tools and technology. Because first of all, if they're if they're doing a deal review from like four years ago, cool. But my next question is like, is there anything more recent that you might want to share with me, right? Um, and in the last two years people have had to use a mix of digital tools. And that's whether that's been part of their prospecting motion, their research motion, whatever it is, there's lots of opportunity to understand how they used multiple different channels to bring the deal to closure. 100%. I mean, we when, when we first started Aurum, I mean, we were flying to all of the, uh, the sales organizations and going onto the sales floor and training the, the cold callers, the inside sales or SDR teams and everybody was sitting next to each other, so you could look over the shoulder and actually train them on cold calling and speaking. After that, that transition, right? We were we were there coaching them, and so obviously we're a technology company. We we, we were using Zoom already for internal and, and other meetings, um. So it was probably an easier transition for us, and likely for you guys, than you know many other companies out there that had to become inside sales teams, really, like or, or kind of a hybrid. I, I do think we're going to stick with hi- the hybrid model, you know, for probably the foreseeable future because, you know, at the end of the day, you have to do what your prospects are comfortable with. Not everybody's open yet. You know, most folks have gone remote, uh, at least in our, in our industry. Right. And so they're having kind of nexus at one location where getting on site is, is going to make sense. Uh, yeah. Time will tell. I, I, I know we're all itching to get back out there, but uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how, how things evolve. I totally agree. We're all itching to get back out there, but a lot of times customer organizations are not at the point where they're allowing visitors into the premise. Or even if they are, if two people are there and 19 are on the Zoom like, uh, in the room, it's just, it it's that hybrid thing that we were talking about. I hadn't thought of this, but it's also weird if you're face-to-face and you're both wearing masks, it might actually be less effective to be face-to-face like that than it would be to be maskless on Zoom. I mean, like... The things you miss out on, of course, which, you know, obviously we got to experience field sales is being in the room and noticing the the kind of nonverbal reactions at certain points in the presentation, right? Or like, I think like that's probably the biggest thing that, that we do miss out on in the Zoom, right? Is, is, you know, some folks don't even turn the camera on, right? So it takes a bit more effort to champion build individually. Um, you kind of have to reach out one-to-one, you know, over, over email or, or cold call, you know, other folks. and and just make sure everyone's questions were addressed, right? Like getting the lunch after the meeting, you know, on site where probably a little more casual conversation would have happened to help make that deal move along or champion build further. We have to put in extra work now than we ever had before. So it's also just so hard to stay focused. I think a one-on-one Zoom calls is okay, but if you want to, the, the advice is to make deals multi-threaded, and the advice is to have more than one person from each side, even if you're on a Zoom, 
But the problem is, is the more and more people you add, the, the more likely it is that people are going to start to space out and multitask. People have a love-hate relationship with LinkedIn polls. I generally, I generally love them because I think you learn a lot about social psychology by, by staring at them. And there was one actually of, you know, do you multitask, yes or no, when you're on Zoom calls? And of course, the overwhelming majority is like uh, answered all the time. <laughs> Well, one, one more topic I want to get into before we end here is um, to talk a little about demand gen, because I think that's another thing that you're you're hearing a lot about. I, I listen to podcasts when I go and take my my daily walks at night, and I was listening to one last night and, and talking about inbound, outbound, and PLG, product-led growth types of strategies were, were all in there, right? It's, it's, it's one thing to sell when your brand is well known, but when your brand is not as well known, um, I'm curious if you got any sort of tips and techniques for breaking into accounts. You know, we, we we've really been almost 99% outbound. Uh, we only we just hired our first marketing leader here at Orum uh, in the last quarter. Up until this point, uh, we we've been using our own product and and uh, and obviously email and similar to SalesLoft. Or um, we sell to salespeople. Salespeople are living and breathing on LinkedIn, uh, so LinkedIn has been a, a great channel for us. And 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 not from the company LinkedIn, right? I think like it's it's individuals at the business that uh, are, are posting and sharing. You know, whether that be sales advice, like you know, Jeremy, I see you doing a great job of this. Always sharing, you know, research and and tactical bits that that snackable tactical advice that that people can uh, adopt into their. Their sales playbook or, or insights that they can glean. We've certainly taken a similar approach, and the inbound we do drive tends to be from LinkedIn posts, and then you know outbound it's it's really getting a narrow focus on who your ideal customer profile is, right? And, and you don't want to boil the ocean, right? I, I know we, we hear that all the time, but like understanding for us, it's understanding we need organizations that are on a sales loft and and cold call and. Uh, and so we know they invest in technology. They have probably a Zoom info or Lead IQ. And then from there, taking that even a step further, like what industries have big enough addressable markets where they'll they'll really you know benefit from a service like Orem as well. So I think the the earlier you can get a focus on your ideal customer profile, who has a propensity to purchase your product and and your value to resonate with, it's it's going to lead to your success. Obviously. You know that that scope changes as your your company matures and your sales targets get higher. You have to go later in the adoption curve, right? But it's it's finding that those early adopters, the folks that are into new technology, and then kind of gradually, like for us later on, we know we're going to have to circle around to folks that maybe they haven't quite flushed out their calling playbook, but we'll have more capacity and time to to put marketing material out and train them and help pump them up and enable them to get ready for something like Orem. So. At least that's how we've approached it. And then we have a freemium version of our product. So to address the PLG question, you know, we drive individual sales reps to using our product. So let's say they have Sales Loft. They can log in with Aura and pull in all their call tasks that are due today from Sales Loft automatically within a couple of clicks, and we get them to their conversation. So we get bottoms up adoption of Aurum, and then we can take that and then Mandy to uh, the point before of building the case to bring up. You know, we've already identified the type of value we can deliver their their frontline team, and and then go make a, a solid business case to you know the VPs and revenue executives. Yeah, we're rebranding freemium, so I love that you use that term instead because I think that's how I think of it. Right, we've rebranded freemium to be PLG, but great. And then I was talking to a sales leader this past week who basically rebranded Pilot as PLG Plus, 
it was interesting, right? It was a product where someone couldn't just download it and start using it. It required some degree of implementation lift. And, you know, in that case, they were happy to, to do those, but they would, what they did, what I would refer to as a guided trial, right? As sure you can sign up, we're going to guide you through and it has a fixed duration and there's a commitment to do a check-in at the midpoint and the endpoint and a commitment, you know, as many commitments as you can get. I think it depends on how competitive your market is. If you have an ultra competitive market, then, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to compromise more, I think, on some of those commitments if it's not super competitive. And if there's a significant implementation expense on your part, then, right, you can, you can ask for, for more and more all the way up to, you know, sign a contract and we'll, we'll give you an opt-out clause. Like there's all those options, but they've, they've always been there. Well, Colin, it's been awesome talking to you. We definitely ran the gamut from, you know, the war for talent and, demand gen and hybrid selling all the way to Alice shirts. So that is, <laughs> that is a brand new. Well, Colin, it was so great to have you on, on the show. Thank you, Mandy, as well. Thanks, Colin. Yeah, Jeremy, Mandy, thank you both. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was awesome. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast. 